Amen. Well, since we're um, making you wear these wonderful name badges, I thought you might enjoy hearing some statistics about names, just as a little bit of fun to get us going in our message this morning. So these uh, facts come from the U.S. Census Bureau. You might be interested to know there are over 5,000 common first names used in the United States, 150,000 last names. So if you multiply first names by last names to see how many combinations or permutations you get, there's like 750 million possibilities, which is far more than there are numbers of people in the U.S. So of course, many names have more than one person. Now, would you guess what the most common first and last name combination is in the United States? Somebody take a guess. Rob Sweet. Rob Sweet. Eric Hoffman is not true. Come on. What else? What's the real real answer? (laughs) John Smith. Yeah, exactly. We have any John Smiths in the room? They're not afraid to like raise your hand. Any John Smiths in the room? No. Of all 46,947 John Smiths in the United States, we happen to not have one here. You might also be interested to know there are 1,021 people named James Bond. I'm kind of jealous, actually. 457 people named George Bush. 444 named Tina Turner. 107 people, my girls will be excited about this, named Harry Potter. 107 Harry Potters running around the United States. And uh, since we're near Nashville, you might be interested to know there are 34 Johnny Cashes out there. But I don't think the Census Bureau has found a boy named Sue. Yet. Yet. Now, why do we ask you to wear these, these uh, name badges? Obviously, we, we want to make a, a growing church feel smaller. But beyond that, there's some significance to your name. And we wanted to invite you this morning to think about what, what, what's in a name? Like, what does it actually mean? Our theme this morning for Easter is one name. What's true about our names is they're more significant than just what we call ourselves. One of my favorite quotes about names comes from Dale Carnegie. He's the guy that wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he's talking about what a gift it is you can give to someone by remembering their name. And I'm terrible about this. So I've started actually taking pictures of people in our body and then writing their names down so I can remember better. But here's what Dale Carnegie says about a name. A person's name is to that person the sweetest, most important sound in any language. And if you think about that, that's really true. There's something about you hear your own name said, you know? Think about if you're married, think about when you first met your spouse and, you know, you're dating and just to hear them say your name, there's something about that. If you're a mom or a dad, think about when your, your, your little child calls you mommy or daddy. There's something about hearing that name spoken that just is sweet to us. Now, the reason that our names are so important is they represent something fundamental to us. It's our identity. So when our name is called, it's deeper than just sorting between one person and another person, right? There's actually some identity that we carry in this idea of names. There's like a piece of ourselves embedded in our names. Whether you like your name or not, it's a core of who you are. When you were born, the very first thing you received was a piece of paper with your name written on it. And someday you will die. And the very last thing you will receive is a stone with your name chiseled on it. It's not an exaggeration to say I don't think that our whole lives are spent trying to make a name for ourselves. And so some people literally will trade in their entire fortune to have something named after them. A college, maybe a building, a stadium, a library... 
An oil sheik from Abu Dhabi took this to extreme, and he had his name carved in sand in his own private island, so large that you can literally see it from space. And I want to show you a picture of this on the screens. This is courtesy of Google Earth. Now, to understand the scope of those letters, the height of each letter is over 3,000 feet tall. The whole name, the length of it, from the beginning of the H to the end of the D is over 10,000 feet long. And so our friend Hamad here is maybe an extreme example, but I, I want to say this because I think it's true. There's energy in every human heart to have an identity that matters and that lasts. It's, it's part of what's hardwired in you. You want to have a good reputation. You want to have a good identity. You want people to remember you. Now think about the motivation, all right, for Hamad riding in the sand or someone paying a lot of money to have a stadium or a college or a, a library named after them. You know, th- those are all sort of big examples, but the core motivation behind it is essentially we want to matter. <laughs> like we want to be remembered. We want our names to continue on. It, it's in a sense almost like life after death if people remember us if our names sort of outlive our own physical lives. It's kind of an everlasting uh, desire, is it not? Now, I think, as I've thought about this, what we're actually longing for at this core level is something beyond our own names. It's, it's actually bigger than what you're wearing here on your chest. What you're actually longing for is, is something deeper that gets to the core of how God designed you to be. Now listen, if, if perpetuating your own name, your first and last name, if, if making that last and writing it on an island or on a big building or a big tower, if that's what mattered most in life, almost all of us in this room are in big trouble. Because there's not a lot of names in this room that are going to be remembered even 100 years from now. Like, I'm thinking about my own name and other people I know and care about. And I'm like, how many names do I remember backwards? I, I, I know who my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather was. But beyond that, I don't remember names. How many generations will your name be remembered? Three? Maybe four? If that's the purpose, if that's it, we're in big trouble. Now, there's something about this desire that points beyond ourselves. And so this morning, what I want to do in our text, and actually, you've got a couple of texts referenced in your program, but we're going to be all over the Bible. We're literally going to start in Genesis, and we're going to end in Revelation. I want to show you how this desire for a name that lasts can be redeemed, and how actually it's, it's enmeshed in God's good intention for you from the very beginning. To have an identity, to have a name, if you will, that brings significance, a name that matters, a name that endures. And I want to show you how that desire actually mirrors God's desire for you. But it centers around a name that is not yours. It centers around the event that we're celebrating this morning, the resurrection. So let's start at the beginning. I'm going to start in Genesis. Uh, I don't need you to turn there, but why don't you go ahead and turn to the book of Numbers. That's the first text we're going to look at in depth. So turn to Numbers chapter 6, because it's Easter Sunday. So naturally, you go to Numbers, right? (laughs) It's a little Bible joke. Um, Now, 
I want to start at the beginning by talking about the theme of names throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, almost all of us in the room know that in the Bible, names are significant. So it wasn't just like, you know, Rob and Susie and Eric and Jody. And it, it, these names always had a meaning to them. And a name in the Bible usually was another word that was sort of adopted as a name to, to identify that person or name some significant part of them or an event that happened around your birth, etc., etc. So at the very beginning, we meet Adam. Adam comes from the Hebrew word Adama. Adama, shortened to Adam. Adama means the ground, like the, the earth, right? The soil. Now, why is that significant? Adam was made from, created from the Adama, and he was tasked with gardening. In other words, stewarding, organizing the Adama. So we have Adam. Now, Adam names his wife Eve, Eve means living one. Why is she called living one? Because she was the mother of the living. All of us who, you know, have a life, you know, breathing. Eventually, you know, Eve was our great, 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 great grandmother, right? All living uh, human beings came from Eve. So she's called living one. Now, it's interesting to note that once sin entered the world, part of the consequences of the fall, as we call it, or the curse, was that Adam now had to work the Adama, the ground, through the sweat of his brow, right? So the ground was cursed. The Adama was cursed. And Adam's job was much more difficult. The living one, Eve, was now going to die. You see the irony. Not only would she die, but every human being that would come from her was also destined to die. So the mother of the living would now produce living beings who could not stay alive. You see, the living one, her identity had been cursed in a sense. Now, Adam, Adama coming from ground, Eve, living one, their own identities connected to their names were no longer enough to give them a sense of purpose and a sense of fulfillment. Their sense of identity and significance had been thwarted and had been frustrated by sin. That's part of the opening act of scripture. What's the solution? Later in Genesis, God calls a man by name. He says, you are Abram. I'm changing your name to Abraham and your family. I will make a great family and I will bless you. We're now in Genesis chapter 12. The purpose of God blessing Abraham was not just for Abraham's family. Genesis 12, 3 tells us it would be so all the families of the earth would be blessed. There is a sense in God calling out the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham and his descendants became the nation of Israel. There is a sense that what God is doing is he's beginning the redemption of, the, of mankind. And he's doing it through a man, this man, Abraham. Now, Here's where we get to Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers chapter 6, we see the blessing that God gave to the nation of Israel. And it is more than anything else, I think, indicative of God's special relationship that he had with Israel. And I want us to look at it for a moment. So Numbers chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 22. And you can read along in your text. It'll also be on the screen. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons. Now, Aaron and his sons were the priests saying to them, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. Here's, what they're, here's how they're going to bless them. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. I want to pause right there before we go on 
to verse 27. Now, there's a couple things you need to see that are happening here with the name. First of all, God is giving them his name, the literal personal name of God, Yahweh. It's recorded in your text as Lord, depending on which version you have. Lord is probably in all caps, capital L, capital O, R, and D. That signifies that in the Hebrew, it's translating the personal name of God, Yahweh. Now, that name is used interestingly in the blessing three times. Three times the name of God, Yahweh, is used. Second of all, this idea of making his face shine on them, this is not just religious language. You think about as a human being who is separated from God, separating from the blessings, right? You've kind of lost the identity back in the garden. For a human being in that state, the face of God shining on you is as good as it gets, Like, this is the countenance, this is the smile, this is the eye contact, this is I love you kind of language to have someone's face and their countenance shining on you. This is a really big deal, not just religious language. And then finally, notice it culminates in the blessing of peace right there at the end of verse 26. Now, peace to us is kind of a weak English term. It means I haven't argued with my wife in a while or my kids are getting along or we're not in some you know, major global conflict, Lord willing, please. <laughs> you know, that's the idea of peace for us. Peace in scripture is much deeper. It's the Hebrew word shalom. It means wholeness. It means everything is knitted together back right the way it was meant to be. Mankind is rightly related to God, to one another, whole and rightly related to the creation. That is shalom. Shalom is the epitome of what you could possibly want in life. It's all the good things. Economic flourishing, relational flourishing, spiritual flourishing, all that is caught up in this word shalom. And what God is giving to Moses through the priests is he's saying, this is my desire for this people. Speak this blessing over them. But what I had never seen before this week studying this text is verse 27. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. Now, think about this for a minute. This incredible blessing, God's countenance, shalom, all all put together. What he's saying is, all that is carried in my name being placed on you. You might think of it this way. The greatest fullest, wholest you could ever be is when God's name is placed on you. That's all being carried out here in Numbers chapter 6. Now, what's the significance of God's name being placed on them? There's two things signified in this. Number one is ownership. So we do this to this day. When something's yours that you care about, you write your name on it. Or whenever we give our daughters like the same gift, which we do often, the first thing they're going to do is get up that Sharpie, write their name on it, because, you know, heaven forbid, little sister would pick up theirs. (laughs) Second all, beyond ownership, there's a sense of family. Where did you get your last name from? It's from your father. Names signify families. In fact, to this day, your last name is called your family name. So there's this sense of ownership and there's this sense of family. God is wanting to say, I I am your owner. You are mine in a special particular way and I'm inviting you into the family. All that's being 
uh, signified here with God placing his name on the nation of Israel. Now the problem is Israel was in a covenant relationship with God, which is what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about, and they could not keep their end of the deal. They kept breaking covenant with God, and so they never fully experienced the fullness of this blessing from Numbers chapter 6, not in entirety, not in continuity, even right up to this day, they're not. Now let me review where we've come so far. Mankind, including you and me, longs for a fullness that our own names cannot provide us, right? We need something bigger, something broader. God says that the answer is not in our identity, but in his identity placed over ours. His name is the sign and source of blessing and peace, of shalom. The problem is, as Israel showed us, we can't live up to the name. In this sense, we are no different than Israel. They were a poor representative of God's name, as are we, if we're honest. This is where we get to Jesus. Turn in your Bibles now to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is a text that was read earlier in the middle of that beautiful medley of Easter songs. Mandy read this text and I want to come back to it because in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at 5 through 11, verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2, the entire gospel story is contained in this. The incarnation the, the suffering of Jesus and even the resurrection. And we find this encapsulates the good news. Let's look at Philippians chapter two. I'm gonna begin reading in verse five. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word grasped, And go back to the Greek, it's best understood as equality with God was not something to to grab onto and to retain and to cling onto. But instead of holding on to that, verse 6, or 7 rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So that takes us right up to Good Friday. Now here's what's going on here. Christ in heaven had anything that anybody could ever want, right? He made it all. So complete glory, complete wealth, intimate relationship between the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, perfect communion, perfect community. He lacked nothing. And yet he gave it all up. Why did he give it up? He became poor so we could become rich. Now, that's not necessarily meaning money. That that means in terms of identity, you see. He became ostracized by the Father on the cross so we could be brought into the family, so we could get the name, so we could get the identity. Uh, There's a song that I listened to uh, Easter time that reminds me that Jesus was a man of no reputation. How could the God of the universe become a man of no reputation, a poor carpenter, rabbi from Galilee of all places? He did it for us. He became a man of no reputation so we could be grafted into the family with the reputation, the family with the identity. 
Look at the gospel being proclaimed in verse 9 of Philippians 2. For this reason, because of what Christ did, his humility, his suffering, God highly exalted him. Pause right there. I just want to talk about that word exalt. It literally means to lift up. There's a double meaning going on in this choice of word by Paul. The literal sense of being raised up or lifted up or exalted is referring to the resurrection. This is Easter Sunday morning. This is the empty tomb. God exalted him. Look at me. Verse 8 ends at the cross. Verse 9 says he exalted him, guys. That's the resurrection that Paul is talking about. But that's not the only meaning of highly exalted. There's also this sense of being raised to exceptional honor. Right? So someone who was the man of no reputation is now the king of kings. You see, there's this exaltation, literal grave, and then in a broader sense, he's being uh, given exceptional honor. And then we get to the second half of that verse, and bestowed on him the name, the name which is above every name. Guys, what name is above every name? It's God's name. You see, what's happening here is God the Father is recognizing Jesus' identity as the true Son. And he's saying, listen, you wear the name that is above all names. Jesus is fulfilling the blessing from Numbers chapter 6. Thus my name will be put on them. Israel couldn't do it. They couldn't live out the covenant. Jesus did. And then we get to verses 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now in the context here, saying Jesus is Lord is saying Jesus is God. That's the context here. So you have this idea of the man of no reputation going to the cross, being exalted, raised up, lifted up, being given God's name, the name that is above every name, so that at that name, every knee would bow, every tongue confess, what? That Jesus is God. That there's an equivalency there. Now, let's review again. Mankind, you and I, long for a fullness and significance that our own names cannot provide. The answer is not in our names, but in God's name on us so that we would be identified as his and brought into the family. We can't live up to the name, just like Israel, but God himself did through Jesus Christ. On our behalf, he emptied himself He became the man of no reputation. He was raised up. Now, what did the resurrection, what does the resurrection of Jesus accomplish for our identities? It allows us to be brought into the family. It allows us to have the family name. And we don't earn it. We're adopted in. We're just chosen and plucked out and said, you're part of my family. We're brought in. I want you to see, you don't need to turn there, but in John, in John 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, catch this last part, even to those who believe in his name. You start to see the pieces come together. Names are significant. Adama, there is Eve. 
Their names have been cursed. Their identities have been lost. There's a promise in Numbers chapter 6 that God's name will be put on them. Israel can't live up to it. We can't live up to it. Jesus did. And now because he's given that name that is above all names, we can be brought in through belief in the name. Now, what does it mean to believe in his name? This is the key to everything. And this is our application this morning. What is it? Well, how do we actually believe in his name? Two things. Number one, confess that Jesus is God. Confess. All, all confess means is you just, you believe it, you name it, you proclaim it. Jesus is God. This goes back to Philippians chapter two, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He is who he said he is, in other words. So number one, we must confess Jesus is God. And I know many of you, most of you in the room have done that at some point in time. You made this good confession. Jesus, I believe that you did this for me, that, that I, I am under the, the sacrifice that you gave on that cross. My sins have been made white, like what's on that cross now, rather than black, and I'm forgiven, I am saved. All that's kind of wrapped up in confessing that he is God, according to the text here. There's another thing, though. There's another thing that I think it means to believe in his name, and this is how we live out our faith. It's to find our identities no longer in what's on your name badge, although you still are a special and unique individual, but to begin to find your identity more and more in his identity. To begin to find yourself, not by writing your name in huge letters on the sand so that the, the, the astronauts can look at it, for heaven's sake, but to find yourself in the true identity, in the true name that is above all names. Now, I want to drill down on that a little bit because I know that's just sort of like ethereal. That's just kind of religious jargon. How am I going to find my identity and Jesus' identity? Does that mean I stop calling myself Rob and start calling myself Jesus? Please, no. <laughs> of course not. Let's talk about what that actually looks like. And let me ask you a question. Who are you? At your core, who are you? Now, all of us have a lot of identities, right? You might be a mom or a dad. You might be a son or daughter. You may be a husband or a wife or a grandparent. Maybe you're an entrepreneur, a breadwinner, a business leader of some kind. Maybe you're a blogger, a teacher, a homeschool parent, a songwriter, a medical professional, or a stay-at-home mom, or a Bible study leader, and a neighbor, and a sports fanatic, and on and on and on and on. We have these identities. Listen, they're all good things, but none of them name you in a way that provides significance and fulfillment and identity. And not even the collection of all of them. Name you. You are more than what's on this name badge. Who are you? At your core. You are either lost or you are found. You are either known by God as a son or daughter, or you are trying to just carve your name in the sand. Jesus' message was this. I'm going to quote John 10.10. 10. 
I have come, he said, so that you may have life and have it in abundance. Okay, let me paraphrase that for a minute. Here's what Jesus is saying in John 10, 10. I have come so that you may have a core identity that gives you fullness, that gives you life in abundance, a core identity that gives you significance and satisfaction. I have come, Jesus would say, so that your search for a name that satisfies and endures and fulfills would be over. And so some of you this morning, you've just never sort of put the pieces together. And you said, I'm not trying to carve my name on an island, but I I do have this sense in me of needing to belong and needing to be significant and needing to matter. And I've never thought about the fact that maybe I could find that in the name that is above all other names. And what I'd invite you to this morning is faith. And you don't have to join this church. You don't have to you know, join a Bible study. You don't have to memorize a whole bunch of Bible verses. You just simply express your faith in Jesus Christ. And literally, it's, it's a prayer. It's an expression. It's an outworking of your belief. It could sound something like this, that, that Jesus, I believe you are God. That's step one. And I believe that I can't earn a right relationship with you, but instead you gave up your life so that I can have life, so that I can be adopted into the family. And I want that. I want the peace and significance and security that the family name carries with it. Would you let me in? You know what the answer to that prayer always is? Yes. Yes, this is why I came. Yes, Jesus would say. That's what it means to be a Christian in a nutshell. Now, I want to go to one more place in our text because we need to see what does the future hold for the children of God. So turn to Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. It may very well be the very last page in your Bible. If, you, if you're turning and you get to the maps, turn one page backward and you get to Revelation chapter 22. Now, I, before I read five verses from Revelation 22, you've got you to know this. This is the literal fulfillment of the promise of Numbers chapter 6. That great high priestly blessing that God's face would shine on them, that they would have shalom, peace, and that his name would be put on them. This is it, y'all. This is what awaits us, the fulfillment of the great blessing that goes all the way back to Numbers. Here it is. Revelation 22, this is our future for everyone who has faith in Jesus. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Okay, this is symbolism that's going back to Genesis, right? The tree of life. Bearing 12 kinds of fruit. That represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Nations, uh, Greek, the Gentiles. That's, that's all of us. All the families of the earth that were promised from uh, Genesis 12, verse 3. Look, look at verse 3 in this passage. There will no longer be any curse. Praise God. And the name of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Sorry, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants, that's you and me, will serve him. Verse 4, they will see his face, Numbers chapter 6, and here's the climactic moment, his name will be on their foreheads. You see how this all comes back together. Verse 5, there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. 
What is our response as we wait now for the future then? We believe and we celebrate. We celebrate what is true now that our sins have been forgiven, but what will be even more true, we will celebrate in the future that we will see God face to face, that we will be blessed by him, that we will have shalom. His name will be on us. We are his and we bear the family name. This is good news. So we want to express belief and praise through one final song this morning. So I'm gonna pray and as I pray, the band is gonna come up and we're gonna sing this song. This song is about the name of Jesus. This song is about the name that is above every name. And it's the name that we, we not only you know, sing to as sort of like a distant God, but we actually proclaim this is the family name. We are adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ with God the Father in the family. This is the miracle of the story of Scripture. And it's only true because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Our Father... Thank you for the name that is above all names, that what we're all wearing right now on our shirts is not as good as it gets. We've been invited into the family. We've been invited into true significance and identity and joy. And even though to get from here to that place where it will all be made right means more pain and more suffering, we are willing to hold on. We're willing to endure. We're willing to wait because of the hope that is birthed in us through the truth of the good news. And so, Father, we hold on to that hope while many in this room simultaneously hold on to pain. And we hold those two things together and we proclaim, it is true that I've been adopted and it is true that someday I will experience the blessing and the benefit of that adoption in full. May we lean toward that day, even now as we believe and as we celebrate the name that is above all names.